This is a UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland podcast. My name is Dr Sinead McCann and I am a Public Engagement Officer at the UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland for the project Prisoners, Medical Care and Entitlement to Health in England and Ireland, 1850-2000. For details about the centre, please go to our website at www.ucd.ie forward slash history forward slash chomi. To listen to other episodes from our archive, please visit the centre's iTunes page or our media website chomi.org. This episode is a recording from the one day event Inside Reform Prison Healthcare Campaigns Past and Present a policy workshop hosted by the Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland and held at the National Gallery of Ireland on the 2nd of June 2017. Inside Reform was a policy event organised by the Wellcome Trust Senior Investigator Award Prisoners Medical Care and Entitlement to Health in England and Ireland, 1850-2000. The co-principal investigators of this project are Associate Professor Catherine Cox, Director of the UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland, and Professor Hilary Marland, Director of the Centre for the History of Medicine, University of Warwick. In this podcast, Anita Dockley, Director of Research at the Howard League for Penal Reform, presents her paper called New Media, Old News, Strategies for Getting Penal Issues into Popular Discourse. My name is Dr. Will Murphy and I am a member of the project team of the Prisoners Medical Care Entitlement to Health and based at Dublin City University. And it's my pleasant task to chair this uh, second session this morning, uh, which focuses on effective communication strategies. Uh, and the session is going to look at lobbying strategies employed by reform groups and other activists, and how the need for change is communicated in an effective uh, manner. And we have four speakers, so I'm just going to, you know, we, as in the last session, we'll have the speakers in turn and then hopefully an interesting discussion afterward. So uh, our first speaker in this session is Anita Dockley. Um, and Anita is a research director at the Howard League for Penal Reform in the UK, and she's responsible for developing the charity's research capacity, forging links with academics and universities, funders and partner organisations. And her own research interests include suicide and self-harm in prisons, women in prison, and order and control in the prison environment. So, and Anita is talking today about new media, all news, strategies for getting penal issues into popular discourse. Thank you. Um, what I think I'll do today is talk to you in three areas. A bit about the Howard League and what it does. Talk to you about some research that we, or I, got done for us, looking at how we can actively, as NGOs, get penal issues into the media. And then go through a case study, which is not at all health-related, but actually shows how we use the current media landscape to try and get our issues into the, penal, uh, to the public discourse. So it's just to sort of show how we use the strategies in action, really. 
So the Howard League. We think we are the oldest penal reform group in the world. We were established in 1866. Can't find one that's older. But if you can, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But we take our name from John Howard. And the key characteristics that we think we've got is that we're independent. We take no money from government. So we can say what we want and do what we want within reason. We're a little bit maverick. And we like to try and get in there and really find out what's going on. Because if we take John Howard as our lead, he went and experienced life as a prisoner in Europe, across Europe, and actually reported back. We're a small charity. There are fewer than 20 of us, but I think, as you can see when I give some examples, we, quite, we shout quite loud. We divide our work into four key areas of methods. The research, which I lead on, we have policy and campaigning, and we have a legal team, which is a key strategy for us to achieve change, which is about all our work's about, where we work actively with children and young people up to the age of 21. Our methods are similar in, to those with the IBRT. We use similar sorts of methods, so I won't go into any of those because that would be repetition. Um, another thing that we do have as an organisation which actually helps us think about public, popular discourse and about how we engage and achieve change is that we have consultative status with both the UN and the Council of Europe. We were one of the first NGOs to get consultative status with the UN. So that sort of frames what we do and who we are. But the key thing is that we're about change and how we achieve that change. Um, we're, we're an outward-facing charity. We don't keep quiet what we think. We're not about working behind the scenes and achieving change. We use those methods. But we, don't, we actually try and get out there and make a difference and make people understand what the issues, get the specialist information out into the public arena. And that's often quite a difficult thing to do because, as professionals do, we took this jargon. Jargon's quite at the heart of a lot of what we do and actually try to get that discourse out there in an accessible way and try and achieve empathy and a, a feeling for change in the way that we feel things are needed. We also want to obviously get ourselves out there as a trusted voice. We want to make sure people are supportive of us. We are a membership organisation. As well as doing all the other things, we have a membership who we have to make sure gets the right information so they can be our advocates too. But if I said that, and I'm going to focus on media, we don't always court the media attention. We've heard it, people say that sometimes it can be seen as problematic and difficult. And quite rightly it is. So we do work behind the scenes. We work with the politicians, the policy makers, the parliamentary committees, the opinion formers, and get their ear and work with them quietly, as well as shouting loud. But I'm going to concentrate on how we shout loud today. Right, so I have picked up our media coverage for the beginning of last month. It's just, I just picked it up one week. When I was putting this presentation together, that was the week that it hit my... Uh, inbox and we have a specialist comms team of two people so it's not large and what I wanted to show you is the range of things that we do so in red we've got the different types of issues that we were commenting on this is just from a national and international and the blue is just different types of outlets so you've got broadcasts, um, 
newspapers, features, various different things that we do. Okay, what we are is both reactive and proactive. That's so that's just that's the national and international. And then we, that's the same week. That's our specialist. Quite different types of thing. Ecclesia, a religious-based um, website. So you know, we're not. We're quite interested in getting our message out to different groups who may have support. If you think about the Howard League and its background, it's very engaged with the Quakers, and the Quakers do quite a lot of work in our work as well. And then regional and local. So that's just examples of, a, you know, just to flag up, it's a big area of our work and the various different types of things that we can be doing. Regional is very important. Get a regional news story out there. For in, you know, that area, it makes a big difference and gets your profile up and gets people thinking about their local issues and their local areas. Okay, so that's a bit about us. Now, I've actually been thinking about, from an academic perspective, a research perspective, how could we get the Howard League's views into public discourse more effectively? I was lucky enough to have um, a postdoc fellow I was sponsoring at Oxford who has a background in broadcast media. And she was interested in putting together a new sociology, something about the sociology of journalism, and she was looking at how penal affairs groups could get their stories out into the new media landscape. She was quite well placed because she's got a doctoral uh, research on the representation in the media of police, and she's also worked on, as a scriptwriter, so she married things together quite well. And so, what she wanted to do for us was try and work out our challenges as an NGO, so it could equally apply to academics in a way, because you have the specialist information as well that you might want to get out there, and identify ways that we might be more effective. So as you see, she did some primary research for us, and what I'm going to say is uh, drawn from it, and there's a publication on our website, which is actually a quite a good briefing about this, which you can pick up at the Howard League's website. Okay. She identified the challenges. Public knowledge, actually, is low on our issues, on the issues that we all discuss. It's, people think they know, but they have a TV, um, film idea of what, we've, what prisons are like. And that doesn't actually chime with the reality that we, working in the field, know. But most don't have first-hand knowledge. They just need to, so they have what we could say is distorted, desensationalised view. And it's also distorted by our media, the prison camp type stories. When you get positive work going on in the community with young people, they're going on these safaris or work boards on holiday. I always remember in the 90s there was a safari boy where a young lad was taken out doing some community work and engagement, which is the, the way it gets distorted. Is it does, there are problems for us. But it's important for us to use the media because public confidence needs to be high in the criminal justice system. So we need to actually try and change public opinion by providing accurate <coughs> stories for the media and for the public. And public opinion is also just not 
good because of the media, it's good because often it's that public opinion, and it is that public opinion, that feeds our politicians' views about what they're going to do and how they take forward public policy. The classic example that I draw on is the antisocial behaviour order in the England with the Blair government. We know from the work we've been doing that that got on the agenda because numerous people were going to their MPs' surgeries complaining and it gradually coalesced and coalesced into the ASPO, which was not an effective way of dealing with young people. Now it's been morphed into something else. But public opinion and getting that public opinion in the right direction, my right direction, is <laughs> which is what you are. You're promoting your view of the world, your view for change is important. Okay. Now, the other issue is that what we're dealing with, it's a, com a changing and complex media landscape that we've got. Traditional media, particularly print media, is declining. What, how we, all the old methods are changing, and that's quite difficult for some of us, because you, you have strategies, but that's declining. 24-hour morning news, the internet, how people absorb their media, Facebook and Twitter, it's all changing. And it's, although perversely she found, Marianne found, that it should be more chances for groups like us, perversely it's harder. There are fewer staff working in media, so they have fewer people working to get the stories, the type of stories that we want in the media. So it's one of those things. And they often press, use press agencies, so the same story is going everywhere. And they don't like it, it. It's not that. And they also have to think about stories that reflect their income. So if your story doesn't get the advertising on their page, their demographics, it's hard. So it's, it's quite a hard, challenging landscape for us as an NGO to get our views into the media. So it's one of those things that you've, we've got to try and shift our way of thinking. We can't do the things that we want to, we always did and expect to get coverage. When I first started at the Howard League in the 1990s, I can remember sitting at my desk virtually every day doing five or six radio interviews. That doesn't happen. The expert voice as seen as the NGO or the academic is not seen as as the voice to go to is much more personalisation. However, perversely, when I was doing some work for something else, the academic voice is held in more esteem by the public than many other sectors of the community, including politicians, including CEOs of uh, NGOs. So the academic voice is an important one to try and think about. That is something that people can bring to the table. And so that's why research for me as an NGO is important, because we can use the academic voice to evidence our issues much more clearly and it has seen to have public confidence. Okay, but equally, another thing is what we're picking up, another finding was that there's fear and anxiety about distortion of issues, the counterproductive nature and the backlash. I think we've discussed that. Uh, today, so I think those there are problems there. We've got to be careful about how we sculpt our stories and how we get those uh, issues into. I'm going to be more cheery in a minute. There are opportunities. I think another uh, problem is that we are maybe unrealistic 
about what we can achieve through the media and about what the media is there for us. Um, the media needs, that has their own agenda about what they're trying to do, as I've said. So us thinking that our stories are the greatest thing since sliced bread, it's not their perspective. So um, you've got to think about it from their perspective too. And we may think the media can do much more for us than they really can. Okay, and that goes on to this one about how newsworthy is the story. What is our angle? They want clearly, want, you know, they want a particular view. It's not just this nice set of statistics. They want the personal. And they want their own story. One of the things that's interesting, I did an event based around this piece of research and we had the news editor from BuzzFeed on and he gets so many hits if you get the story right. It's a different demographic, one that might be more sympathetic to penal issues because it's often younger, more liberal in many ways. But they're not interested if it's your same old press statement that you've given to everybody else. If it's the same old angle, they want something that's a little bit different, a bit quirky, bespoke. But that's not just true for BuzzFeed. But it's particularly interesting because you've got to think about the different way they put their media out. But NGOs have difficulty with this because we don't often have those types of news stories. Researchers always come out with those types of news stories. Client confidentiality. People don't want... I mean, we've had a backlash with one girl who had a very positive story. In, um, she turned her life around, worked alongside us on a project we were doing. And then she actually was at college after having spent time in the justice system. And her media studies teacher thought it was a great story to share around, and, because it obviously showed her. And she got a backlash from her students. And her boyfriend did the same, posted photocopies on every lamppost but not in the same positive way. So you've got to think about the consequences. I think we've said that. So it's interesting about how we, you know, what we think is a good story, about how we can put good first-person stories out there. Right, so on the other hand, we've got to move to the positive. What can we do? A different angle, not just the same old, same old. Be, think about what would make the difference. That's what uh, she was telling us. Maybe an insider's view, something we didn't know. Um, there's a great uh, the story that she tells in the research is the press one of the press guys from NAPO, the National Association of Probation Officers in England has been around for a long time and he's always in there getting working with the Ministry of Justice and the Home Office and he always has a different story, he's always in the media so if you can cultivate those relationships, he has the inside of you. He has, well, he's now not doing the job, but he had that, that function. And I think it makes a real difference. I will move, yeah, yeah, I'll move on quickly. Think outside the box. Don't just think it's the news media that you're approaching. Feature articles, editorial comments, is, it, is that the best way? Think about freelancers. They're often the ones that are doing something that's slightly different. Invest your time with key journalists. Put them, give them the bespoke experience. Can you get them into somewhere that they can't usually get a different view of it? If they're, you know, will they get the story out to a different audience? Um, think, you know, who are your partners? I think we had that earlier. Think about different types of partners you can use. So if you're talking about 
for example, I'm thinking about doing things about having, whether we need to have the dock in the courtroom. Are there architecture outlets that you can work with for that? And local media, think about it. It's, people look at local media, read local newspapers, listen to local radio more than you think. It's a good way of getting to it. And they always need the stories. And you can find some really good positive thi things. I know, and I think lots of, that a lot of the local journalists of today have a big hitters in the media world going forward. Don't dismiss them. Do some of the hard work from them. Tell them a story. Give them the sound bite. Give them the, the, do the hard work. Do the groundwork. Give them the sound bite. Um, this was, I think as a journalist, and I think that's where the strength of some of the people here today say I've worked on both sides. Journalists are taught, apparently, to, to distill everything down to one sentence and give it to the editor to sell. Do that for them. Think about what it is you're selling. Risky, but be provocative. And doesn't this, does this press release need to go to everyone? Do you need to think, is it mass spreading around? I know that people, hit, if they see too many press releases coming in from one source, they just hit the delete button. They're not interested. Be a little bit more choosy. Untapped. Dramas. Think about, I don't know, how, the Archers. Is it big in Ireland as well? But there's been a big story in the Archers where um, domestic violence played through. And it's a criminal justice story. In Emmerdale, for example, they uh, had a prison story recently. Those types of things hit a different type of audience. Don't be afraid to work with them. Take your stories to these people if you think it's got a good chance to be covered in the right way. Blogometry. I haven't got time, but today's media, that is a way to go. Journalists will look at what's trending to pick up for the next story. Don't go, the press releases are often defunct. A lot of our press stories come out of our chief executive's blog rather than doing any press release. Our press releases tend to be on the reactive, proactive stuff quite often. So it's first out there with a blog supported by a press release. And this is the, the research, which can be online. I will quickly scoot through a our case study. Books for Prisoners was one of our best campaigns. I was not leading it, so I can't take any of the credit. However, this was one of the things where we use media, particularly new media, to good effect um, to change policy and change it fast. Okay, I've made some additional notes, so I'm just going to go to the right pages. Okay. So we mixed old and new media as well as behind-the-scenes lobbying and the threat of possible legal action. So we combined lots of different methods. So we, picked, we identified that there was a new prison service order that meant that lots of things could not be sent into a prison. Books was one of them, as was underwear. But some it was the books that picked, got the attention. Our chief exec wrote a piece, a comment piece, and then she talked about it. And from that, we got the attention of some atypical penal reformers, authors, playwrights, and poets. They all picked up on it and were up in arms. Some were our supporters already, but not many, very few. So it shows them the power of an issue that affects groups other than prisoners, bringing it into the attention of the broad group of people. Uh, one author that was supporting us, Michael Rosen, 
continually talked in the media of it being a human rights issue, the human right to read, <coughs> shifting the public perception, That's reframing some of the things that we were told about in our session. Okay, so that comment piece led in the first week to authors writing to major networks, a shelfie campaign, which I'll show you with an image of, a petition, the online petitions, which are a really good way to try and garner attention and garner public support, and the ballad of not read it, reading in jail. Okay? I have to come here. Okay? So the shelfies, people fed into the zeitgeist of a time and um, put their own pictures of their bookshelves up on the wall. Fed into a nice middle class view of themselves. They like to show up at bookshelves. Because you see that happening, how big and how extensive was your bookshelf. But it actually got the point across. These were their shelfies. And uh, we got so many of those, and people were doing it and fed it. So we also got the old media coverage, which is there. So, and unexpected support this time. We actually managed to get those difficult news outlets that you fear as a campaigning group. But it actually, you, if you get the right story, you get the right sort of time and the right sort of framing of it, you can do it. Okay, we also got international coverage. And the ballad was Caroline Duffy leading a, re a reading outside Pentonville Prison with lots of other authors and actors. You can see people like um, Sam West in the background and various other people. Um, but they, you see, you use creativity and opportunity. You've got to move quick and you've got to think outside that box. So it's publicity stunts. We also had a, a sponsored night in the sales organised by a book publisher who was supporting us, whose offices happened to be in a police station with sales in their basement still. You take the chances and it sometimes pays off and it catches you. We kept the momentum up by all our lovely authors, um, David Hare, Mark Haddon, whoever else was there, um, taking it to Downing Street. It's publicity stunts, but it's, it's picking up people's reading. Why can't prisoners read? You keep bringing it back to that core issue. But you use the way public in actually devours media now as a way of getting your issue across. We also did a nice one at the Justice Committee where the then just Minister of uh, Secretary of State for Justice was given evidence and our staff team sat behind in our t-shirts quietly, silent protest, holding up uh, Dostoevsky, Crime and Punishment. And it got shown on Parliament Channel and people picked it up. So, you know, this, is, you know, this has to be at the top of our experience, I have to say. This is not a typical campaign, but we also went... That's when our staff dressed up as Father Christmas, taking books to the Ministry of Justice so people could be sent to it at Christmas. But it wasn't just us sending it in. All our supporters were sending books to the Ministry of Justice to because that was the only way at that point that books could be sent in. So they had stacks and stacks of books <laughs> in their lobby, as well as ours. That came our Christmas card upon you um, that we sent out. But yeah, so you think again, how can you get media attention, the publicity stunt? And I don't know whether that was um, really what we wanted. <laughs> because... By the end of 2014, the High Court ruled that the restriction was unlawful. 
it's a, it was an effective campaign, but it's probably really difficult to replicate. There was a lot of luck and chance and coming together of factors. Okay, we engineered something, but there was a, you have to admit that those things don't always come together. But it shows the different ways you can get things, a serious matter, taken by different types of press. But one final thing, sorry, I'm taking too long. We're keen on digital, as NGOs, keen on digital stuff. But it's difficult to manage. It seems cheap and easy, but how genuine is the support you get through that sort of thing? You have to weigh up. Using digital stuff as evidence and lots of those methods is fatigue, and is it a race to the bottom? Um, we have a problem as well that we tend to talk about systemic things rather than individual injustices. So those types of stories are harder to characterise in, in the media, so you have to think about them. The case studies are difficult. And for our session, it's more about the, we attract than meet journalists with social media more than actually get the whole story across. So actually you, you use it as a tool to get the interest and then you work hard with those journalists to get the real serious story out there. And then think in the sense, you can apply that to other opinion formers because they all follow our CEO or whoever the key person is in your organisation. If you can get the right followers, they will pick up on your issues. And also don't dismiss local media. I think there's more there to be said. And, um, we always think about the big ones at the top. Actually, local media and bottom-up, grassroots support for your issues important. I've gone on too long, but do take a look at our research and some of the things on our website because it does sort of speak to the way we campaign and the way we get our messages out there. Thank you.